We are live. Hey guys, welcome to the Doctrines of Rad podcast. I'm Drew. Uh, I'm flying solo as one of Rad tonight. I am Drew of Rad as my uh, TikTok handle has now changed from Real Drew Kaler to Drew of Rad. Um, I will be joined here momentarily with E-Disciple, Blake, and we're going to be talking about post-millennialism. Hello, son. I see my son is in here. Uh, Ash, there's Blake right now. We're going to bring him into the stream and see if we're working. Um, okay, so now I can hear you through this stream. Okay. Can Audio, you hear me okay? Yeah, I mean, it just sounds like you're in a room, but it's not that bad. And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be super clean, dude. It's not... Uh, so not, me, can you give me 30 seconds because my yeah. dog is not going to shut up. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to get us introduced. So we're going to get started. What's up, Titus McCoy? So if you guys are watching on TikTok, thank you for coming in and joining with us. Um, we are live, Blake and myself, E-Disciple, are live on TikTok. And uh, also here on the YouTubes, um, I sent him an invite there. Uh, we are going to be talking about the end time view, the eschatological view of post-millennialism. Now, I know you probably all got really excited to hear that we would be talking about post-Malone tonight, and that is not the case. We are not going to be talking about post-Malone. We are going to be talking about eschatology and the view of post-millennialism. So there will be no sunflowers singing tonight. Uh, I know it was a little bit confusing for for you all. So, Blake, I sent you you an invite. There you go, on on the ticks. And the tax. Okay, looks like we're good. Okay, so, cool. Audio, both places. Sounds great to me. Uh, it looks like everybody can hear. Everybody seems to be fine and good. Um, hey, so last week we were um, we were Logan and I were not able to to do the podcast last week because I had COVID again for the fourth time. And uh, fourth time, yeah, yeah, fourth time's a charm, right? That's what the old saying is. Um, but it. Uh, it really wasn't that bad, man. I mean, it, it was, uh, it was a flu. My wife has it right now. My, uh, 16 year old had it for a little bit. Uh, and my daughter got it the least. She, she really just had some head congestion and stuff like that, but it wasn't really too bad. Um, but it's going around here, at least in Missouri, uh, it was going around. Uh, we'll give a little audio check. Go ahead, Blake. You can say something, uh, on the TikToks, and we'll see if uh, you guys all hear me. Okay. I can move my mic a little closer. So we're excited. I'm actually, I'm really excited. So Blake, Blake and I uh, have been mentioning for quite a while now to, he said you're very faint on TikTok. So maybe. How about uh, now? Maybe the mic needs to be probably better. Yeah, I bet you it's better. He's going to go to YouTube. No audio from Blake on. Yes, they can hear you now. You're good. All right. Looks like Titus. uh, No, I think you're good now. Hang on. Just give it a second. Either way. This is uh this is professional grade podcasting right here. This is how we do it. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm not used to streaming two platforms. That's that was the, I thought that my phone I could just mute my phone and but it, if we're getting all kind of looping stuff, that gets really annoying. So yeah, absolutely. Well, it's all it's all good, man. It's really it, it's just a matter of conversation. And so the reason that we wanted to do this was to uh, get together and talk about an end time view known as post millennialism. Um, and uh, Blake is well aware that uh, as I am an amillennialist, pre uh, used to be a um, a pre millennialist kind of dispensationalist in the vein of MacArthur, but really just because I didn't know any better, you know. It's like, and I would say that a good majority of people out there 
probably don't really know that there are other options of eschatology. And uh, I was, you know, when I got saved, I, it was through the Left Behind series. I was reading the books, uh, didn't know, you know, I was like, oh, well, this is what the Bible says. Like, why would I not think anything different than that? So um, it took me. I have the whole series on, on the other room bookshelf, all first edition hardbacks. Man, that's crazy. I all of those. Yeah. I, I loaned out my set to uh, a friend on, on the ship that I was on uh, years ago, and I never got them back, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care about that. But uh, so Sav says she cannot hear you now on uh. TikTok. All right. So, Sav, move your make your way over to um, make your way over to YouTube. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't I'll know. Blake, yeah. I'll let's try one give more it a thing shot. real quick. Because I won't mess with the the stream now. I'll just only mess with the TikTok stuff. All right, yeah. Try this. TikTok to get a little bit better for you. And if not, then just plug that mic back back into the YouTube's. The YouTube right. have the uh, YouTube is uh, Doctrines of Rad. Uh, the channel, the Doctrines of Rad. Um, it should also be in now? my bio. Can so you hear me on YouTube or on Eagle TikTok Mountain Viking now. can hear you now. And, uh, and Sav says that she can hear you a little bit better now. So, uh, yeah, you can check us out. You can either go to the YouTube, uh, channel or you can do it here. It, it doesn't really matter either way. It's out. looks like you're good. Does, can I get like some heart emojis or something? If Blake's, uh, <laughs> can you guys uh, hear me? I know we can, he, I'm heard on the mainstream through YouTube here, but can you hear me on TikTok? Yeah. Cause audio on my end is really, really good. So it looks like I'm seeing hearts. So it looks like we're good. So, uh, it's muffled. Well, that's the best you're gonna get. <laughs> this is so you're not paying. You're not like paying ASMR for it. ASMR style, just right up on the mic like this. She Hello, said that everyone. It's muffled, but she can hear. Me. So <laughs> okay. that's the yeah. It's the best that you guys are gonna get. Uh, that's fine. You know, we, we we'll we'll refund your money right after this episode is over. I promise. Um, so yeah. So Logan is uh, on vacation still. So that's why he's not here. I had COVID last week. That's why we didn't do the podcast last week. So here we are, and uh, it really works out because, uh, you know, Logan just gets in the way, you know, whenever <laughs> whenever I'm trying to talk to him, you know, he's always just, you know, throwing stuff out there. He gets uh, a little, he, he distracts, you know, he'll watch this later and he'll get mad at me. And then I was like, sad that he wasn't going to be on because I was going to come and go, oh, my baby boy, <laughs> hanging around these Calvinists, what's wrong with you? You're lost. He loves it when I do that. It cracks up. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, so let's, um, Blake. Let's let's talk about first. Uh, how did you? Were, did you? Were you kind of born into the post millennial view? Or? Not at all. So tell me. Let's all. lead up to that. Tell me about your uh, your original uh, eschatological view, your end times view, and then uh, what led you to where you are where you are right now. Yeah. So I grew up Methodist. Um, eschatology wasn't really all that talked about. Um, I don't remember much being said other than just hints of things here and there. I read Revelation. I had no idea what the heck I was talking about. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, so just like you said, the Left Behind series, Tim LaHaye, um, Jerry B. Jenkins, the whole series, I I have first edition hardbacks, the whole series on my shelf in the other room, and don't believe any of it. (laughs) It's a nice work of fiction for me at this point. But you did it. At when you were reading it, you were you felt like you were kind of bought into it. Yeah, I thought this is this is what's going to happen. This is what I should anticipate. This is probably how it's going to go. 
Um, and then uh, it was only actually a couple of years ago, not even that, boy, maybe even two years ago, um, uh, through TikTok, believe it or not. Um, I met a whole bunch of the people that I correspond with You've now. You've been on TikTok for two years? I've actually been on longer. So I had a, Whoa, I have, what? I have another, <laughs> I have another channel that's just my puppies. Really? And that one, um, that one actually had some viral moments. That one actually is my highest uh, follower and all that other stuff. Um, oh and sadly, gosh. I don't post on it very much and I feel kind of bad about that, but, Aww. um, but no, I had, uh, I did some duets with, um, a beatboxer with my puppies and it Aww. blew up. I got like half a million views on one of them and not too Jeez. bad. It was good for me. Um, sure. And uh, this one I started um, after I felt, uh, and I, I would watch videos on that account and I kept seeing Christian TikTok basically just right. people yeah. talking about the stuff. I'm like, wow, this, this is really cool. Like they're preaching the gospel here. Maybe this is something I should, should do. It gives you an, another, another platform essentially, instead of literally just going out to the street and, and preaching the gospel. And, uh, and I started hearing all these other ideas. I'm like, I haven't heard some of this before. And so I ran into Alexis. I don't know if you know Alexis. Alexis and Alexis in Beach? Yes. Yeah. I ran into Alexis. Of course. Um, and she told me about um, her eschatology. I'm like, I have no idea what that is. And she said, well, um, part of it is called partial preterism. Right. And it's the idea that a lot of, of what is in Revelation uh, took place. Yes. And, and because uh, through Alexis, I met Andrew. That's correct. Um, uh, that part of much, much of Revelation certainly could have um, occurred in the past. Yeah. No, but get to the part about Andrew. <laughs> That's funny. Um, and so uh, she introduced me. Easier to look at, honestly, Andrew. I just got to <laughs> let you know. <laughs> um, so that was one of the initial sparks that got me looking into re the Reformed view of everything. So I was like, okay. So Wait, so you weren't even a Reformed before that? What, bro? Nope. I'm I'm learning all kinds of. This is this yes. is fantastic. I would have. I've taken really only been reformed. reformed for a little over a year. Like actually, wow. like all all if you count four C's. That's um, crazy. Yeah. So it was really in many ways through eschatology that led me to all the other beliefs. Is initially. that when you started growing your beard too? That looks like a lot of. <laughs> I had a little bit of beard, but yeah, bit, it got yeah. long. The, the more reformed I got, the longer well, the, the spirit beard. of Spurgeon, you know, descends <laughs> right. upon every reformed believer. So we all have this beautiful beard. <laughs> that's funny. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's really what led me to, to that. Um, she said, well, you know, and I was, I was one of those that was just like, ah, you're crazy. This, you can't be right. You, you must be one of those like minority. And, and she's like, well, believe what you're, she was very kind to me and we're really good friends now. She's good. Yeah. I love her. Um, she says, well, just go listen to, to some of these pastors. And she pointed me to Dr. James White and Jeff Durbin. Oh yeah. And if oh, there's yeah. anybody who can throw down on Matthew 24, it is Jeff Durbin. Yeah. He is fantastic. So the more I listen to him, like this dude makes sense. Mm -hmm. That seems really legit. And then I would check back with the Bible. I'm like, yeah, th this is what it says. And the more I listen, the more I learned. And then I started getting books and studying more. I'm like, the first question I asked when it came to eschatology, I'm like, if partial preterism is true, I have to know when the book of Revelation was written. Mm, okay. Because if it was written after 70 AD, it can't be true. Right. Because otherwise it would have recorded it as it right. had already happened. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it wouldn't totally have been anticipatory or prophetic. So that was the first thing I did. And that led me to, and I won't go too long here, um, but that led me to this book. And 
she's the one that recommended it. It is. Oh, I should have inverted my um, my camera. Oh, it's here. showing up perfect on for me on here. So before oh, Jerusalem fell, yeah, it's showing up perfect. Before Jerusalem fell, back um, Dr. Kenneth Gentry Jr. Nice. Show it to TikTok too. Um, so this is a very scholarly and a very thorough work on dating the Book of Revelation to the early 60s AD. Okay. Um, and once I was satisfied that that question was answered, then I was able to move on to everything exegetically about it being prophecy that has already been fulfilled. So your so your last two years then have just been a, a roller coaster ride of of just <laughs> solid learning. I mean, yeah. I. I'll be honest with you, dude. I'm very surprised uh, to hear that you've only been reformed for uh, that short amount of time because you do not uh, strike me that way at all. Um, mm. You know, you really you have a, a sense of maturity about you in the way that you present uh, your understanding of Scripture. Appreciate and uh, yeah, so um, my uh, let me just I guess give you a little bit of my background then. Um so about 20 years ago, when I got saved, 21 years ago, I was reading the Left Behind series, as I said, uh, and um, I read all of these things about, uh, you know, the end of the world and the rise of an Antichrist and, you know, a rapture and seven years of tribulation. And all of those things began to promote a healthy fear of God in me because I was like, well, I mean, and this was really the, the conversation I had with the Lord is like, Lord, if this is real, I'm not on your side. Like it was just a re it was a revelation for me that if this stuff really does happen, I'm not on your side. Uh, and um, I, you know, was reading through the series, you know, didn't know that it was a Christian book series at first. Then I came to understand that it was and I couldn't put it down. Uh, I was just, I was just enthralled in it. And uh, they were I heard well-written books, very well-written book. I mean, yeah. fantastic. I mean, I, I would still recommend them today. If you want to have a good idea of what pre-millennial pre-millennialists believe, mm -hmm. I mean, there is nothing more clear and concise in the way that they present the pre-millennial position in a fictional way with fictional to be specific, theory. specifically, dispensational premillennialism. Yes. Just to be clear on that, because there is a classical premillennialism, which we might get into that, we might not, but that one specifically um, is is built around dispensational premillennialism, which a lot of people would call pre-trib, rapture theology. All yes. of those are kind of encapsulated together. And for a lot of you guys listening, that you may be like, well, what, what do you mean? Like, that is the only thing I know, right? Like, cause for me, even the people, even today, the people that I meet when it comes to, uh, talking about, uh, end times type stuff, uh, most of them are pre-trib, most of them, mm -hmm. or, you know, a pre-millennial at least. And, uh, you know, they believe that there will be a rapture. They believe that there will be a seven years of tribulation. Um, and I think you can really attribute a lot of that to the, the rise of the popularity of this book series, uh, it, people, people still had their eschatologies, but there was not a worldwide phenomenon, which really brought, you got to think, man, and this is whether in pretense or in truth, as, as long as the gospel is preached, you know, like Paul says, I will rejoice. So, you know, it brought, it brought a whole bunch of people into church that were like, I need to know more about God. And I think that they had a, a similar experiences as me. So, um, sure. when I, uh, so I, you know, I believed this for a very long time and it wasn't, uh, I, I became 
uh, I wouldn't, I don't know that I would even say I'm fully reformed at this point. Like I, I've been kind of bouncing back and forth and where I really sit with being reformed per se. I'm, I'm most certainly I'm a Calvinist theologically. Sure. Uh, you know, that's the way in the lens in which I see scripture. It is the, it makes the most clear sense to me. Um, it answers the most questions for me about God and his relationship with people. Um, but uh, I don't know that I'm necessarily reformed, uh, probably more specifically now that I'm dabbling in some older earth creation and I'm kind of like learning about that. So I think well, do that you want to we- just quickly, we can just kind of quickly define if you want, because I mean that what this sure. will actually present is my biases and, and, and it what leads me toward postmillennialism too. So Absolutely. as far as being reformed, yes, all reformed would be Calvinistic, but not all Calvinistic people would be reformed. Uh, John MacArthur is a good example of that. So he's Calvinistic, yeah, but he's, he would not be considered reformed because he doesn't affirm covenant theology. And so he's dispensational too, which I yes. think no reform. Do, do are there any Calvin or are there any reform reformers that would adhere to dispensation? I didn't think so. No, because that's one of the things that would lead you to being uh, to being reformed. Definitionally, would be yeah. affirming covenant theology. Right. And covenant theology is a completely different um, view on um, the whole of Scripture, the hermeneutic. I mean, all of that. Um, versus dispensationalism. So that would be the second point. Um, the third one would be a confession of faith. So um, I actually first read um, being so into, and I still love uh, Durbin and White. They're, I respect them a lot, um, but I do disagree with them on a couple of points, um, like pedo-baptism, things like that. So I would I would ad- adhere closest to uh, Presbyterian beliefs, um, nice. Reformed Presbyterian beliefs. Um so I read and, and I had initially affirmed the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. Um, but then the more I spoke to uh, Jeremiah Short or the Black Doctor 21, um, Andrew from Andrew Does Apologetics. Uh, both of those guys are on the podcast that, that we do, um, as well as uh, Jessica Clement, um, God Owns This Heart. Hmm. Um, those three had a podcast or, or was it just a live? It might have just been an Instagram live or something like that where they were all talking about um, theta baptism because both Andrew and her were, you know, exploring it and wanting to learn more. And Jeremiah is like the bastion of reform knowledge on, <laughs> on TikTok, yeah. especially. Um, and that was when I was like, Oh, okay. I'm, I, this seems like it really makes sense. And the more I delved into covenant theology, um, I said, okay, well, which confession of faith then should I read next? And I read the Westminster. And I'm like, yeah, I feel like this is it. And see, I'm a Westminster guy too. Uh, Now I wouldn't consider myself to be fully confessional in the sense of that. I, you know, I wouldn't, uh, I can, I feel like I can draw lots of amazing knowledge out of all of the confessions. Sure. Uh, And so, and because of the church that I'm in is not reformed and is not confessional, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it really, it's irrelevant in the sense of in, in my, uh, in my aptitude to serve there, there's no requirement for me to be confessional or to adhere to a very specific confession. So for Mm -hmm. me, what I love about the confessions and for if any of this is like new information for any of you guys, um, if there, if there are depth terms that we are using, drop them in the chat. We will define those things for you live while we are doing this because we want to make sure that everybody understands Uh, when we say confessional, um, we're, we're talking about affirming a, a specific confession of faith. Uh, we've already mentioned the London Baptist so far. We've uh, we've talked about the Westminster. There's the Heidelberg Confe- uh, Catechism, yep, which is also uh, reformed. So and and so that's mm-hmm. in the sense of if you call yourself reformed, you have to be 
uh, Calvinist, confessional, and what was the the third one? Uh, covenant. So yeah, Calvinist, covenantal theology, yeah. uh, confession of faith, and most would actually put cessationist in there. And cessationists can be confusing for people because they would say, oh, you don't believe that God will do miracles. No, that's not what that means. Right, right, right. Um, what it means, just to give everyone a definition of it, is we we would say that cessationists would affirm that the apostolic and prophetic offices are closed, that those right. offices are, are those ended with essentially John. I think that's probably the last. Uh, some would maybe argue one step past that to origin or something like that, but though, he didn't write any scripture. Um, he wasn't a disciple directly of Jesus. Um, so hard to say, but I have would at seen, least say John. Have you seen apostle. Robin's um, video where he was asking on TikTok, he was like, what are some of the fringe beliefs that you have? Uh, and he he talked, I can't remember what his fringe belief was, but for me, my fringe belief, I think I'm just starting to realize it is I I do believe that the roles that the, the office of apostle has ended, but I do not believe that that impacts the gifts in the same way that a lot of cessationists believe. I suppose it depends on how you define it. So is there, especially when it comes to prophecy, is there new revelation given by God? And to me, I would say no, because no, if it's I would a, agree, if it, the Lord, mm-hmm. it should be scripture. And that means the canon's not closed. So that'd be the main Point. What would you call it then when someone were to use scripture as a word of encouragement towards another person? But let's say for let's say, for example, um, the Lord gave me or gave someone else a word of knowledge and I passed it on to you. And I'm not saying that I'm speaking directly for God, but I, I were to say to you, um, I feel like the Lord is is kind of pushed it on me to to say this to you. And it was biblical. It lined up with scripture. What would you call that? I wouldn't have a problem with it, but I wouldn't call it any kind of an apostolic gift. I mean, you an apostolic gift is prophetic. I wouldn't call it prophetic, though. Is mm. is it telling the future? Because because something prophetic is is a new revelation, and if it's right. something that Scripture's already said, then it's it's really not prophetic. So now, per- now God can certainly do that. I would never right. put God in a box and say He doesn't, because I certainly believe I've I've heard tons of stories about Muslims who are far away from any Christian, and they're having these dreams. Yeah. I, I don't deny that at all. God can do whatever the heck he wants. He's absolutely sovereign. And as a reformed person, I yeah. mean, reformed people believe that generally more than most about God's sovereignty affirming. Yeah. Um, but no, I wouldn't call that unbiblical at all. But would I call it new revelation or prophecy? Not not really. Definitionally, I wouldn't. But I certainly yeah. would affirm that that can happen. And it's interesting because I would agree with you that it's not prophetic in the same way. Uh, right, but right. I do look at it and I like what Riss said, illumination, I guess, in some ways, yeah. like, cause the yeah. way I think of it is like, you know, if the Holy spirit has been sent to, and we haven't even talked about what we're going to be talking about, but it's yeah. okay. We can, we can get <laughs> okay. sidetracked. If the this Holy is a good spirit, foundation. Yeah. If the Holy spirit is, uh, is the one who is guiding us through, through life it is there as our comforter that has, you know, sealed us for salvation that, you know, has, has taken up, um, his place in us. Uh, it seems to me that the Lord, that the Lord would use, would use that method to, um, to speak to us in a way that is unique and individual that is not, does not change the view or, or the totality of it or any ounce of scripture, right? Like obviously scripture is a hundred percent our plumb line 
all the time. If it goes against the word of God, if it goes against what scripture, you have to reject it. That's actually the standard that I set even when I'm like reading about um, when I'm reading about uh, old earth creation and uh, some of these I've been reading um, Michael Heiser and reading about the divine council and <laughs> it is it's deep stuff I've read too, some right? of that and watch some videos yeah it's something it's, it's very heavy and so the mm. thing that I have to look at is is it is it contradicting scripture you know is it is it using pulling scripture out of context uh, and then is it does it take diminish anything from what the work that Christ did on the cross. Sure. If it if it comes out of context of scripture and it diminishes the work that Christ did on the cross, it's immediately to be rejected. Sure. And for me, that's the what's up Kelly K? Um I see lots of comments come in. So for me, like when I when I say prophetic, uh when I when I try to understand, especially the way I used to believe when it came to uh giving words of knowledge coming from the Lord. Now I've been in churches where they've, you know, spoken, they say, thus saith the Lord. Obviously I would have a problem with that today in, in the context with my knowledge and what I understand now about scripture, uh, I would take an issue with it, but I've always, I've looked at the, the word I've, I've the concept of, of the gift of prophecy uh, has been more of the, this word of knowledge, understanding mm-hmm. of, you know, like, uh, for example, let me just tell you this one. So I don't know. I think I've told it on the podcast before, but I'll, I'll, I'll say it again. Um, so my wife, when, when we, we had been praying and praying and praying for a daughter, uh, and we, you know, lots of stuff happened in between. Um, but when, um, my, my wife had met this woman on this women's retreat and they were talking together and they were, they were linked up to have to have a conversation and get to know each other. So they, they go on this hike, they're, they're talking with each other and nothing comes up about, you know, looking at adoption. Cause we were in the process of looking at adoption at the, at the time uh, we were um, really just like, like Lord, this, we want a daughter. This is, we feel like this is the right route to go. Uh, and so this, none of that conversation happened between this woman and my wife. And then, when at the end of it, you're supposed to introduce your partner to the rest of the ladies. And this woman stood up and introduced my wife, Rachel. And she said, this is Rachel. And she's going to be having a baby girl. We did not know we were pregnant. We had no taken no tests. There was no, no indication whatsoever. And my wife immediately was like, um, excuse me, like that is, what do you mean? (laughs) You know? And the ladies were like, Rachel, we didn't know you were pregnant. And she's like, I didn't know that I was pregnant either. So um, how would you define something like that? If, if prophecy is closed, is that just a coincidence? I mean, like what, what is that called? I mean, it could be argued that way. I mean, someone could say, oh, you have a 50, 50 chance of both of those statements. I mean, and that's really pessimistic. I certainly don't have any reason to deny that maybe God did that. I mean, yeah. I mean, if if it wasn't God, then okay. If it was God, cool. I mean, either right. way, there's really there's there's certainly no heresy. There's certainly no right. reason of div- division with with something like that. Because even R.C. Sproul tells a story um, that's not too dissimilar. It's about he was deciding on which place to move and which job to take. And I don't remember the whole story, so I don't want to butcher it. But yeah. um, he says he very clearly feels like God spoke to him in a yeah. way through another person. Yeah. A phone call. And so, I mean, again, it, it cessationism. So here's the question. So what is it that has ceased in cessationism? When you, when you say c- cessation, 
That means right. something has ceased. So what is it that has ceased? The the gifts of God or God doing something? Absolutely not. It is the again the office of apostle or prophet, those offices, and the signs that are associated with proving that someone is a representative of God. So Jesus did signs and wonders as right. proof that he's God and as proof that he was the Messiah. The apostles then did signs and wonders gifted to them by the Holy Spirit to prove to others that their message was true and valid. Absolutely. Now that we have the entire revelation of Scripture, we have no more need of those specific signs and wonders. Yeah, so that's and, really what we say is ceased. And not I get the it. Works of God, absolutely not. And I, 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 I totally get it, man. I, mm -hmm. I, I really, be, uh, I mean, I can see the point of view. I can see the perspective, and mm -hmm. especially when it comes to the abuses of those types of things oh, within yeah. the church. I can see even more reason why people are really drawn or pushed to a cessationist view because, you know, why even risk it? Like, I wouldn't want to, I certainly want to, wouldn't want to be blasphemous. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm very cautious when it comes to stuff like that. So uh, I typically keep most of that stuff uh, if I feel like the Lord is is telling me something or or kind of guiding me and directing me. I, I don't go and announce it. I'm not like, oh, the Lord has said to go to the mailbox today. You know, like that's not that's not my call, uh, you know, or not my my duty to to announce that. But I do look at it as like, uh, for example, today I, I had to go get uh, my registration done. It's been such a pain in the butt at the RV uh, to get my RV registered at the DMV. And it's just I get so much anxiety when I go there. Um, I, I'm very pessimistic when it comes to like my interaction with government workers, probably because I did 20 years yeah. in the government. You know, I like understand. I just I don't trust it at all. I don't trust that it's going to be done right. And, uh, so I, um, you know, the Lord, before I went there, the Lord had me calm. You know, I was just like, I was okay. Uh, I was good to go. I was really thanking the Lord. I'm like, Lord, you know, you've helped to quit, you know, quench my anxiety. Uh, you know, you've, you've brought me this far, Lord, why would you let me, you know, why would you let me go and, and have to go through more stress? And then in the middle of it, there's something had came up and it's began to bubble up my stress. And I'm like, Oh no, like I'm having this moment of like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to go through this again. And I'm, I'm getting really frustrated. I'm feeling really flustered. And then at the end, it all worked out. And at the end of it, it was like, I felt like the second I got in my car, I felt like I heard the Lord see, say to me, see, I told you it was going to be fine. Now, he didn't say it out loud. I'm not saying I heard a voice right, from the right. Lord come from the heavens. I'm just saying like it was in my spirit and it was like it just soothed me. And it came, and I was just like, you're right, Lord, uh, and thank you for taking care of me. Thank you for, for handling that for me. And that's how the relationship goes, right? So, sure. um, See, what it sounds like you're describing really isn't, isn't truly continuationism because then the opposite question of what we answered a second ago is what is ceased would be what is continued. And it sounds mm -hmm. like you, we agree really on all of that. It's just yeah. maybe some definitions of specific things, perhaps. But I think I that's really what it think is. We disagree much. Yeah, I think, I think you, it's definitely. If anything, it might be a really moderate um, continuationist, but I think right. you're, you're more a toward center um, yeah. cessationist. Yeah, well, and every time, even even in my my days of being uh, a continuationist, you know, full front, like being very charismatic, like mm -hmm. I always knew that it was the Lord that did the work. Like it never, if anybody were to claim that they were the one doing any sort of healing or whatever, I, I, mm -hmm. I always had an issue with it. Even before I really understood what that meant and why I felt that way, sure. I always took issue with it. Cause I was like, no, it's the Lord that does it. I mean, it was the Lord that gave those gifts to the apostles. 
You know, it was from him that they could even do any of that to begin with. So, um, well, good. I think we've, (laughs) I think we have gotten a good basis kind of for what we're going to do. (laughs) Yeah. And no, and that's great. Cause look, I mean, look, the one thing that I love about the reformed position on scripture is that we, we hold scripture to a high view, right? We, we, Mm -hmm. we don't play around with Bible verses. We don't like to cherry pick and pull verses out of context and use them. Uh, you know, like uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like we don't put those on our shoes and we're not putting them on our basketball Jersey, right? Like that is um, we understand that there is a context. And I think maybe that's the key here to lead us into this post mill discussion because Andrew is being very impatient. He's, getting, he's yeah. chomping at the bit. He's um, chomping at the bit. So we, uh, Slow down, Squidward. context, <laughs> That is the key, and that's what I want us to all remember as we go into this conversation for the rest of the show, context, right? Mm-hmm. Not proof text, not not eisegesis, right? right? We're talking about exegesis. Mm-hmm. We're talking about proper hermeneutics, or a, a reading of Scripture for the audience that it was intended to be read for, for mm-hmm. a meaning that it was intended to have, not so that you can be a great basketball player, you know, uh, Steph Curry. I'm sure you're great, but... It's not about that. That's not what we're talking about here. So, um, so the three, the three main views of end times uh, eschatologies are: uh, we've got this premillennial dispensational, you know, pre-trib rapture type idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, I currently hold to the position of amillennialism, which uh, essentially is pessimistic postmillennialism. Uh, in a in a in in some way, I mean, really, the way I look Maybe. at it. Yep. I'll give I'll give a description of it of why uh, it's more pessimistic. So the idea is, and let, let's see where we agree and where we disagree here. And let me I'll just kind of tell you what I what I believe as a as an amillennialist. Okay, so I I believe that the that uh, the majority of Revelation was fulfilled when the temple was destroyed. Uh, that so partial preterist. That's what yes. we would call that. Yep. So when uh, when John the Revelator was was writing Revelation, he was writing about something that was getting ready to happen in the near future to him writing it. That it was not meant to, it was not written, hang on, I got a cat on my lap, get out of here. Um, <laughs> it was not written for, to be interpreted 2,000 years later. Uh, it, if it, it, it was actually written to be, uh, to be understood from a perspective of 2,000 years later you know, and understood from a, uh, a future view. Right. So, but not, not to be fulfilled in the future. So I do believe that. Um, but where I think we differ, and this is probably where it is, is well, okay. Hang on. There's a couple more points. Christ is on the throne. When, when Jesus ascended, when, when the, uh, after the resurrection, when he ascended and was glorified, he ascended to heaven and was seated at the right hand of the father. And until the Lord makes his enemy uh, his footstool. So that is kind of the age that we're in right now is that we are in the millennial reign of Christ age that you've probably heard of as a premillennialist, if you are. Can uh, we throw a scripture out for, for part yeah, of that? Absolutely. So in you're Matthew, here for it, Blake. I don't want to do it myself. <laughs> when, when we read Matthew 28, um, one of the things that we, we draw from that most often is the Great Commission. But if we read the verse right before it, 
because because it says it starts with therefore, and I know Andrew's going to have a heart attack that I said this because he hates it. But whenever you see the word therefore, go back at least one verse and see why it says that. Because they were making the author was making a point there, and then he said because of all of this that I just said this. So he says to go out and to make make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right. Yes. The reason why is because just before that he said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been, past tense, given to me. Therefore, do this. That's a very important statement because at the very least, if you're going to argue when he became king, he declared it right there. And that was before the ascension. I just think that's a very interesting point to make and to think about. Yeah, so... Okay, so let me let me try to retranslate what you just said. So... Yeah. Um, so because Jesus says that all authority on heaven has been given and to earth him, and earth yes has been given it is the 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 focus of that statement is the has been as in it has been fulfilled right okay so and yeah. and I I would agree with you um from my amillennial view that sure. uh, yeah. that that is that he has taken his rightful place at the right hand of God uh, and, uh, so do we, do we believe in the idea of like the already and the not yet when it comes to reigning with Christ? Yes and no. Um, it's a great question. So is the, is the, is the kingdom finished now? Certainly not. Neither an right. all nor a post mill would say yes. Right. But what we see, if you look at history, you just look at history as on, as a macro view from the first century when 12 men set out to spread the gospel to all corners of the earth, which of course is a metaphor, um, flat earthers. <laughs> hey, look, I'm not a flat earther, but look, I, those guys, we'll leave it alone. We'll leave those it alone. guys have some good points. I'm just going to say, I'm not a flat um, earther though. Don't, don't. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Um, so from that point, we see an ever increase, an ever increasing spread of the gospel and building of the kingdom of God. You see, from century to century. Now, granted, it's it's not a straight line going up. It's you know, there's ups and downs along the way, little little mini roller coasters, you will. But the climb is ever going upward. In the 19th century, I actually just listened to um, a sermon this morning providentially, um, to talk some some about that, about the 19th century being the most, imagine that, huh? Um, Being the most, the most drive toward the spread of Christianity than any of the previous centuries, which is really interesting because you would have thought like, I mean, as as dark a time as the Crusades and things like that were, I mean, the spread of of the gospel going out, um, not done in, in the manner that I would affirm, um, but missionaries and, and things like that, mm-hmm. you see that a lot in the 1900s and the late 1800s. And you see this meteoric rise. Now, just to back off on that a little bit. So a lot of times Christians will go like, well, you know, I remember how it was even about 20 years ago. And things seem like they're getting worse and worse. Right. And that's a common thing you hear. All mills say that. It's like, re- you really, you really think that things are getting better, right. Mr. Post Mill guy? Right, right, well, right. But here's the thing. Your your bias is going to be just where you are. Of so what did we see in China 
if you hear any of the stories about the church in China, the worse the government got in China, the more and more the church persisted and grew and grew and has grown. They're persecuted horribly there. But they love the gospel so much that they would cling to one page of a Bible and hide it and guard it with their life. Yeah. Can we say that in America? Right. They'll memorize. So, they, there's there, those those of them that have memorized like whole books of scripture in order to right. be able to recite it to to other believers. So yeah, I mean, right. there's there is a move, and I see. This is why, Blake. This is why I am flirting with this post mill <laughs> idea because. I'm, I'm having to take a step back, like, and I think maybe the reason that I was amillennial at first was to, to kind of rectify, uh, to, to meet up where my premillennial view was into a postmillennial view, because I, I think that there's a lot in scripture that does make it appear that things are going to get, like, things are getting bad, right? Like, there is just an evil, uh, you know... If, if you were to talk to most, if you were to pull most Christians, I think they would probably say, you know, things are getting progressively worse. And why would they say that specifically? Well, I think and they would I say know. it because of the here and now, ultimately, if seeing mm-hmm. seeing a, uh, a a positional understanding of what is happening in the world from their point of view. And that's fair. Yeah. Um, now, especially in the West here. So here's the thing. I would ask them, well, what scripture tells you that? And they go, well, have you read Matthew 24? And I'd be like, absolutely, I have. Mm-hmm. Matthew 24 is my go-to voice, thank, or, thanks, or verse. Thanks for, or chapter, really. Thank you, Jeff Durbin. Yeah. Um, but most people would read that and go, they'd read something like, um, well, I mean, we can go to it here, just to just so I'm not misquoting. Do it, brother. Anything. Yeah, let's do it. Um, well, let's just, we'll just start at the beginning. So I won't do the full, I, I can do like probably an hour long presentation on this, which I'm, I won't do all that, but um, just something like this. So it get now, let's just set the premise here. Um, so Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. The mm-hmm. disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age, not the end of the world, right. the end of the aeon, the age. It's a mm-hmm. very important dis- uh, distinction here. Oh, good. You got it. You got it pulled up. Go. Um, so I'm, I'm reading out of the ESV. I'm, I'm not sure. That's ESV. Uh, okay, perfect. So, yep. so just so we know where they're at, Jesus is speaking to the disciples specifically, right? It's a very important thing to look at. So he answered them saying, now, what did, what things are they asking him about? He had just talked about the temple being destroyed. And in Matthew 23, he had just condemned Israel saying, look, your house is left to you desolate. Now, all of this is really more proof texting, if you will, if you want to call it that, which is a gross word, but this is more proofs toward um, partial preterism, saying that this was a past event. But that's what they're asking about. So Jesus is answering their question to them. It's an important thing because if we go, oh, look, Jesus is telling us about what the future is going to be. No, that's not what's happening here. The context is clearly not that. So for many so will come in my what, name saying, yeah, I'm what the verse, are we on? verse five. So for okay. many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. And people will be like, look, there's lots of people who call themselves Christ out there. It's like, well, right. Yeah, that, that's true. But he said specifically in that time. And what do we see when we read Josephus's writings? That exact thing. People saying they were literally Jesus mm. all over the place, all okay. over the place in the first century. 
And you I mean, it makes sense if they're going to capitalize on uh, on the fact that Jesus had recently and, you know, uh, had recently ascended and is no longer there. So why not capitalize on, uh, well, hey, I'm him. I'm back. It, it, it's me. You know, follow me. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So verse okay. six, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars and people go, have you turned on CNN? There's right. wars and rumors of wars all over the place. It's like, well, yes, but what does that mean to the disciples? Right. Because the Pax Romana was present at that time. So Pax Romana means the peace of Rome. And what would happen is, is anytime there was an uprising in Rome, it would be quickly squashed. And you right. didn't hear of wars or rumors of wars for a long, long, long time. How long? Oh, decades upon centuries even. Okay. Now, once you got to the, the Jewish revolt, that was a pretty serious one, which then led to the Jewish war, which was that period between 64 and 70 AD, which I would call the Great Tribulation. That's a whole different thing, but we'll look at that. But that's that's one of the things we're, we're looking at. So when people say, oh, well, nation rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and famines and earthquakes and all that, these are but the beginnings of the birth pains. And they're, they're by default presupposing it as a future event for us. But right. the truth of it is it's a future event for them. Right. And they experienced it. Okay. But most what were of the, the What were the famines and the earthquakes in that? Well, there was a pretty famous earthquake that happened at that time. Actually, there were two, but the mm. biggest one would be when Jesus died. Uh, of course, that's true. That was a big one. And, it, and then you saw the, the uh, veil torn in half. There yep. was another one that was a pre-tremor to Vesuvius that happened during the Great Tribulation in the early 60s. Mm. There, were, there were many uh, reports of earthquakes and stuff like that. Okay. And the famine, the famine specifically is what is one of the things that was a result of two things. There was a regular famine due to drought. Um, th that's one of the things that the revolt that, that had to do with the, the Jewish revolt. Um, and then when the siege happened from Rome, it, it, it just exacerbated that. And when people get hungry, they go crazy. Absolutely. And we might be seeing that pretty soon in America, guys. I, sure not. I think we might be insulated to that over here at least a little bit. But I, I did hear that on the news. This oh, morning. dude, we could we could lose our economy could could tank two times over and we would still be pretty well taken care of here in America, in my opinion. So I do want to read before and I won't get to the abomination of desolation and all that. Um, but I read nine through 14 in a very specific way and emphasize okay. specific words because it makes it, it really puts it into his perspective. So again, Jesus is answering his disciples, answering the question they ask. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So what do we see right there? So the there's a separation claim to all nations, and then the end will come. So let me let me clarify here. Let me make sure I'm on the same page as you. So mm -hmm. there is a separation between what Jesus is speaking specifically to the people that he that his actual audience, that uh, that Matthew is recording, right? So yes. this is he's saying this is going to happen to you. This is this is what's going to happen to you. You are going to see this. Blase, blase, blah. It's to you, right? Yes. To the people he's speaking to. And then now it seems to separate 
mm-hmm. and the gospel of the kingdom. So it's almost so now he's not then talking it opens up. directly to them Agreed. specifically, but he is opening this statement up now to so now he's now he's describing the period of time of basically the the years and years and years and years within the millennial reign, right? I would I would agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's good cl- clarification. Keep going. I'm... So I mean, we again we could keep going on Matthew twenty four. Um, I mean, that's really where a lot of this lies. But since this is more, the reason I was I was going to stop there is because this is more showing about the the, the preterism side of things. Showing right. and showing that these things happen in the past. Um, right. Specifically, the, your your topic here is post-millennialism, especially right. if it's post-mill versus all-mill. So I don't want to lay on that one forever. Um, well, but, but no, it's good because I'm <laughs> willing to bet that there's a good majority of people that don't, A, understand any of the different eschatologies, but mm-hmm. they need to understand the basis or the foundation for why we believe Mm-hmm. that Christ is on his throne and that we are not waiting for these. Like, again, you make great points, like the the many that are coming to say that they are the Christ and many of these root wars. I remember hearing about uh, from pastors all over that, you know, wars and rumors of wars, wars and rumors of wars. Like you hear it from the pulpit a lot mm-hmm. because they are, they are asserting that Christ is saying that that is going to, and I mean, it doesn't, yeah, of course, like there are still wars, right? Like we're still humans on earth. Like there's still, there are still nations. As long as there are nations, there will be wars. You know, there was that have meant to the disciples. That's the question. But what would have it have meant to the disciples? Because he's speaking to them. Right. And again, like I said at the beginning of this, it's all about context. It has right. to be contextually accurate. Was Jesus talking to everybody and to the future, future, future? Or was he talking to his disciples? Right then and there. This so, is for us, but not to us. So uh, yeah. Sav is asking now, how does this, how do we tie Israel becoming a nation into all of this? Is so, that, you yeah, hold, wait till a little bit later or you want to answer that one? We can see in this, when we talked about um, covenant theology and dispensationalism, that question really ties to that because a dispensationalist or a mid-ax dispensationalist separate Israel in such a way yes. to where they nationally are one one subject of discussion, and then the body of Christ and the church is another. And it, depending on how far you go one way or the other, um, you know, but but both of them would affirm that the, the na- national Israel plays a very different role, and it presupposes futurism on all of these things. And that's why a lot of, there are a lot of ministries and organizations that are pro-Israel ministries, because mm-hmm. they think that the temple must be rebuilt in order for God to come back. They and and they're promoting that. They want they that and that's why you have all these people that are, you know, watching and watching and watch what is happening mm-hmm. in Israel. What are they doing over in Israel? Reading the Israeli right? newspapers looking for looking new for prophecy clues. revelations, yeah. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. why why is that wrong? Like why what's the problem with that? Because it presupposes futurism. Okay, and what does that mean to the novice person? What does that mean? So it's it's reading scripture in such a way where you're taking the assumption that it's something is future and then looking at the text and go, see, it's right there. And you're at that's eisegesis. That's classic eisegesis. You're taking your presupposed view 
and asserting it onto the text rather than looking at the text and saying, what does it actually say? And exegeting or reading from the text simply what it says in its context. Yeah, letting the text tell you what it's saying. Exactly right. Right. Exactly right. So the reason that it, that it talks about national, the way they talk about national Israel in that way is because they're looking at their dispensations, which that's a whole nother topic. Um, right. We actually just did a podcast on that and mid-Acts. So, you know, if you want to look at, at the men of the way ones on that, um, we get into that a lot more deep. Um, but they've broken that up in such a way to where they say, well, look, all of these promises that you see in the Old Testament still have to be fulfilled. Meanwhile, you can read the end of Joshua and see that it literally says it was fulfilled right there. God actually says, look, I have I have fulfilled all these promises that I've made to you. It literally says all of that. It's right there in the text. So is there, that, any, is there any significance then with Israel becoming a nation in 1948? Because I know that that's a big pivoting point for a lot of pre, pre-millennial folks. And I get that. And my opinion is no. Really, you just think it's just a you know coincidental as that the nation Not was coincidental, but but I don't well see in the it sense as... of in the realm of of eschatology. I mean, I don't mean nothing. I don't believe in coincidence at all. Everything is God's purpose, yeah. like everything that happens. But well, actually, since you since you brought up, let me um yeah. let me actually pull up my uh, let's see here, um, my other presentation I had for because uh, <laughs> we that that exact question um we uh. We address there, and and I want to do this specifically because Sav asked the question. So I want to make sure. Yeah, of course. And I'm sure that there's somebody out there that is that is listening that is probably like, well, yeah, what about that? Yeah. So let me get to the 1948 events. Okay. So let me pull everything back up here. Sensationalism. So here's some of the claims made. So claims of prophecies being fulfilled in the 1948 events. So this is one of the um. the verses used Amos 9, 14 through 15. So if you look at those verses, here's a couple questions to ask. First, when was Amos written? Amos was written 7, 793 to 740 BC. Second question to ask is when was the second temple built? 516 BC. About 200 so go, look, years later. That, that, they go, look, the, the temple has to be rebuilt. It says it right here in scripture. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the temple was rebuilt, the second temple. Yeah. Again, so, context. Exactly. So um, if you read in, in, in context from verse 10, is saying that David, from David, he will raise up its ruin and all the nations who are called his name. So would this mean that Israel would take over the world, national Israel would take over the world, or that the gospel and the kingdom of God would fulfill this? And Hebrews 11 and 12 would affirm that. That the so gospel. That's, that's one of them. Fills it. Okay. Yeah. So that would be, to me, more of a proof toward post-millennial view. Okay. That the church would would be the one that's victorious, and the church would be the one that spreads the gospel. And when that all is complete, and the last person that is going to be saved is is saved, Jesus would then return, all enemies having been made a footstool at his feet. And then the last enemy to be defeated would be death, because that's what we see in Scripture. So here's another one. Um the uh, the Ezekiel sequence um, with the dry bones. So Ezekiel 37, 10 through 14. Um, so Ezekiel was written 597 to 564 BC. And what we see, so in context here, um, uh, Babylon has um, taken into captivity Israel again. Um, 
And so what do we see in fulfillment of this? They did come together multiple times through history after this was written. So why is 1948 have to be the event that's referring here when it's already happened in the past? Mm-hmm. When you see a historic event that fulfills prophecy, why should you just ignore it? So, oh, that must not be that. It must be this mm. because of your presupposition. Isn't that what the isn't that what the Jews did about the coming Messiah? Yes. <laughs> that kept... is a huge reason that they they missed yeah. what was meant by that, because right. he is the king. They were thinking he was going to be a literal conquering king on earth first. Right. But he's he is doing that right yes. now through yes. his church. They were so limited to their own view and their own, you know, every, it, it must have it needed to to fit in with what they saw and what they expected uh, versus, you know, the way that God and we can see it looking back now. I mean, I to give credit to those guys, because I listened to uh, before we did this podcast, I listened to the sit down between Sam Storms, uh, Doug Wilson, um, Piper yeah. and um, Jim. Mm-hmm. What was that guy's name? Jim something i didn't like him very much anyway uh he was kind of rude to he was rude to doug wilson i thought doug presented post-millennialism very well um but uh oh what was i saying doggone it i just lost it what was i leading up to (laughs) um i I guess i'm not sure that's okay neither am i so it doesn't matter Fair enough. Um, no, I mean, I could go through all of these. So uh, Ezekiel 37, 10 through 14, the dry bones. Um, to me, that was that was fulfilled within history. Sure. Um, Isaiah spoke of Israel being reborn in one day. That's Isaiah 66, 7 and 8. Is this not fulfilled in Jesus? From yeah. Israel was birthed the Messiah. Now all nations can rejoice in the fruit that came from Israel. And as you keep reading the chapter, um, you see this amazing growth coming from the birth out of Israel and the promises of God extending yeah. outward from that mm-hmm. why would he not be the fulfillment of that because they're again presupposing oh this this looks like it fits what this narrative says right. look it's right here so it's again asserting it into the text um another one israel would be reestablished as a united nation ezekiel 37 21 through 22 so who is the king that's being referred to now i know i'm jumping really fast here oh, no, when i'm actually right. reading the verse um but when you read those that section who is the king who is united and continues to do so into a grafted Israel. So if one keeps simply keeps just reading this chapter, we can again see David mentioned and who came from David? Jesus. Jesus. Yes. So we see most, if not all of these fulfilled through Jesus, and he's still fulfilling some of these, as yeah. of course they haven't reached full fruition. So it's, it's defining Israel. What is Israel? And that's what covenant theology really differs from in dispensationalism. Because dispensationalism would look at Israel and go, it's that nation and that people. No. Who have always been God's people? Those who have been saved by grace through faith. Through faith, yep. Because was Abraham Israel? Right, no. Israel he, wasn't he even... Was in, he was, but he wasn't. He, is, yes. Yeah. Israel hadn't come about yet. The uh, Jacob's right. name had not been changed. He didn't right. wrestle with the man of God. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. So, so great why point. would Paul have mentioned Abraham so many times? Right. Because he's trying to prove that point that it's not about the genealogy. It's not about the national identity. It's about by grace through faith. Absolutely. And that's what was demonstrated with Abraham. Why did he say he was preached the gospel? Did, yeah. did, did Abraham know Jesus's name, Yeshua? No. It was faith in that future Messiah. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Beautiful. I, yeah, it, it absolutely. It, I just I had made a video not too long ago talking about uh, how Tozer had had really shown that the um, it was the same the same faith looking forward to the coming Messiah right. that uh, that saved them is the same faith that we have looking back on what Jesus did on the cross. But it's it doesn't matter where it was, where you are in history, that the pivotal moment, the central moment of your faith is in Christ. Right. Period. And uh, yeah, that's great stuff. So, um, OK, so let's keep going. There's then. plenty more of those. We don't have to prove text too, too many all day on that. But so, so um, another a argument... lot of the ones that they throw out there, there are certainly historical explanations for. And most of them really are explained in, in, in covenant theology and in history. Well, I think you place it within its context. Yeah, I think you've made a, a, a very solid uh, case for for why Israel uh, per se. It really is irrelevant what Israel as a nation does, because the things that God had promised to be fulfilled have been fulfilled, whether in Christ or are continually still being fulfilled uh, in the kingdom of God that is still going forth uh, at, in, in the year 2022. Which the is the true is Israel, because right. we are grafted into that true Israel. So just to make clear to everyone, there is it is not a, a replacement it is right. not na national Israel and all of Israel is done. And now there's just a church. No, we have been grafted into the true Israel, into that tradition of by grace through faith. Is that the same as the term I've heard people say spiritual Israel? Or is that a different thing altogether? No, that, that would still that probably would would be accurate. Yeah. yeah. So I yeah I, I agree. I think that uh, I think you yeah you make some some very solid points. So let's keep going then. Yeah. Uh, we talked about Israel and how Israel kind of came about, uh, and it really you know doesn't doesn't necessarily have uh, anything to do with especially on it from a post Miller amillennial view. Mm -hmm. So then uh, we go further and we say so Christ is on the throne. We are in this millennial reign. Uh, amillennialists believe that Satan has been bound. Agreed. But it, and and the re and the thing that we uh, would say because the natural question behind at that comes after that is what do you mean he's been bound he's still out there doing all kinds of stuff so you want to clarify what it means that Satan has been bound mm -hmm. to to specifically to specifically fool the nations so that doesn't right. mean that he's powerless it doesn't mean that demons aren't at action that doesn't mean that there's not spiritual warfare all of those things are still true it's that he is bound in such a way where he cannot stop the spread of the gospel. The gospel will overcome the gates of hell. And that's something that people don't realize that that statement is huge. What is it that's going to, to when you're, when you're talking about gates, what, what are you doing to those gates? You're attacking the gates of hell. Who's doing the attacking the church. Jesus is using his church to spread his gospel. And the Holy spirit is using his church to spread the gospel. And that's what can't be, that's what they can't resist is the gospel. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against it, meaning that right. it's nothing so that the it gates of hell aren't the one that are attacking the church. Yeah. It's us attacking the gates of hell and mm. they will fall. Very interesting. And that goes yes. along, that goes along the lines of, of putting death of basically the death of death, you know, the, the death of, of that sort of thing. So um, when, so there is there is an idea that uh, Satan will be loosed for a final time. Mm -hmm. Now, premillennialist, I think, and that's what always confused me about being when I was a premillennialist was, well, how how is like 
how does Jesus come back and we live in this millennial reign and then Satan gets loose? Like what, like why, why would, why would God lose Satan one more time? Uh, once he's been bound, yeah. why would he be loosed to gather up all the, these other people? Like, isn't, you know, so how, like, yeah, talk me through that. Talk me through that comment. It's a very difficult means. thing. Yeah. yeah. So, and keep in mind, that's, we're talking about the span of like four verses in Revelation where all these things are supposed to have taken place. Mm. That's, that's putting a lot into just such a small amount. So here's the thing. Okay. So let's just, we'll assume premillennialism, pre-rapture, all that. So the church is raptured. The world goes through a tribulation, right? right? Jesus physically returns to earth and reigns for a thousand years. Is there sin during that period? Yeah, I would say, I mean, my, I'm trying to remember what, how I used to think of it. Uh, I think they that say they, no. do they say no? I thought that right. there were like some, I thought there was some separation between like, the saints who had died and that are that rule with Christ during that millennial reign, and then those that um, were born or whatever that uh, mm-hmm. that still lived. At, this is why it's confusing, but that they still like uh, the saints that had died. They rule with Christ. Then there are people that are born, you know, during the the tribulation or whatever that are you know uh, get saved during that time. But that still, it seems to me that they would say that sin still would have some sort of a a place there, right? Wouldn't that so, be the so does that mean that our king has failed? Right. If he has come back to claim his bride, and he claims his bride, and he rules, and he's defeated death, why is sin and, and all that allowed back in? Right. Did the people that are alive during that time that supposed perfection, which I, I still don't see that in scripture. When someone said, well, when, where does it say that the millennial kingdom is the paradise and that's that's all of that? Well, I guess I I'm not sure. Well, if, if they keep reading Revelation and they're, they're looking at all that as part of that, well, that, that's still an issue. Mm-hmm. So, and what about people that are born during that time? Are there going to be work? people? I mean, obviously, if, yeah, I mean, obviously, if we're in the millennial reign right now, people are being born. So right. that, is that the argument that they that they would say, well, people will still be born during this after, you know, Satan has been bound and defeated that people. Well, someone has to be because who is it that sins? Right. Yeah. See, and and a lot of that also comes back to your soteriology on Calvinism or, or at the very least once saved, always saved or that you're, you know, secure in your salvation. So if you're presupposing that people can then Mm. turn away from the faith, if they were once saved, Right. Well, then, oh, Satan just comes back and he convinces the people to not be saved anymore. Well, right. I would say John 6 destroys that. That's, Is that that's, the, that's my view. If possible, even the, uh, if it were possible. No, no, no. So that, that's, that's in Matthew 24. So oh. John 6, what I'm getting at is that we see that the the Father calls and that all that the Father calls will come to Jesus. Right. And all that come to Jesus will be delivered to the Father. Yes. And if at any point, well, part of that fails, that scripture is false. And that also goes for Romans uh, 9, the golden chain. Gotcha. If any of that part breaks, then something is wrong with those scriptures, because those two agree. And that, as, and that would actually apply very specifically to eschatology. So just to kind of scale back on this a little bit. So yeah, post-millennialism, what does that actually mean? So the millennial part of that, so when you say premillennial, all millennial, or postmillennial, has to do with his coming will back. Say, 
yeah, there, that there is no millennium at all, or it's post-millennium with a negative skin. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Pre-millennialism says Jesus returns before the millennium, and a post-millennialist will say he returns after the millennium. You're right. Because, okay, so if he returns after the millennium, all of the things that occur during the millennium and the things that we know do occur at the end where sin and death are the last to be defeated and all enemies will be made a footstool, if he comes back and then there's still enemies, then how do you reconcile that? Right. That means he's made all enemies a footstool and new enemies arise and then he makes them a footstool again. Right. That's what always really struck me was like, how is Satan like coming back to do all this again? Like, it just right. seems like a repeat of everything that God's already done. Why would he repeat it again? Let's let's just look at that. Let's let's pull up Revelation 20 real quick and yeah, just let me and read that up here on my, uh... um, because it's it's very fast. I mean, it's yeah. a very quick. Um, thing that all of this information we're dumping on like three verses or four verses. I know, right? Um, right let me share the screen so other people can see it here. Mm -hmm. Open up there. All right, here we go. All right, so um, let's see. Where are we starting at? Here. Okay, so let's actually start at verse four. Because So as a partial okay. preterist, I believe that everything almost really up until this point has occurred. Okay. So then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon, the ancient serpent, the devil, and Satan. We all know who that is. Mm -hmm. Says it clearly in that. And bound him for a thousand years. The thousand years part is what I would say is figurative. Right. It's because every day for the Lord is a thousand years and every thousand years is a day to God. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of numbers in scripture. Michael Heiser would would throw a lot about that for old earth. If oh, you, yeah. If you look at that stuff. Absolutely. Um, but there's when you're reading a book like Revelation and you're going to say, OK, well, this is certainly a metaphor and this is a metaphor. If you take a literalist view to an extreme and say, well, everything about this has to be literal. Is he literally taking a physical chain and a physical key? Like, is all of that literal? Does it have to be literal? Or right. is it figurative? So we'll just put that aside and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nation's any longer right does that mean satan is powerless it's not no. what the text says it just says he can't deceive the nations until the thousand years were ended after that he must be released for a little while yep now, a little while isn't very specific but so but we'll look at that because we we skip that part is is in verse seven um but then i saw the thrones and seated all the, on them to whom the authority to judge was committed i saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of jesus and the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, which the beast was Rome and the little beast was Nero, Caesar, in, in the uh, partial preterist view, and had not received its mark on their hands or foreheads, which is not a literal physical mark. It is what we see in Deuteronomy 6. The opposite is what we see in Deuteronomy 6, which is the seal of God mm. on the foreheads, the front lip between your eyes and your right hand. This is just the perversion of that. Yep. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the so first let's resurrection. Let's stop real quick. So those that were beheaded, we're talking about those, you know, that that had those that were beheaded for the name of of God, right? Um, during the time of AD seventy, those people now are reigning with right. christ yes and the others 
have not yet come to life. So I just want right. to clarify that everybody's seeing because I'm I'm reading this too as as you read along with it. So those that were martyred, the martyrs are reigning with Christ. Everyone else that's like everybody that's died basically up to this point, you know, still waiting. They're still waiting on the resurrection. Right. Gotcha. So all of those believers of the Old Testament, um, mm-hmm. us when we pass, if Jesus hasn't come in our lifetime, right, we're not we, part of that group. We go to the inter- intermediate place. There's some speculation on that. It's a whole nother conversation. Oh, we should talk but, about that sometime. Uh, yeah, that, that one I haven't really delved into all that deeply, but we'll leave that one alone for now. Yeah. Um, but this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first re- resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God in Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Awesome. Awesome. So that's that's a very important thing. So if the thousand years happened here and it's a perfection we're going to see all these resurrected people just kind of walking around in glorified bodies because they're dead. Mm. Right? Right. So you'll have a mix of glorified body people and non-glorified body people and people being born. Can they have children together? Like, there's all these weird questions. You know, bring the Nephilim that. back again. That's a whole other topic, too. <laughs> but it's it's it, it adds a ton of questions that, that are yeah, really absolutely. difficult to skate around. Uh, But then we get to the the defeat of Satan. When the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. And that's (laughs) um, now Gog and Magog is a whole nother subject. Um, We'll just kind of put push pause on that one to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and his prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So a lot to unpack from that, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. So the last enemies. So clearly that there there are unbelievers here. Um, Us who believe in the soteriology that we do would would call those the reprobate. Those who are not going to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and the devil who had received them was then. Th- so what we see there to me seems like a very quick thing. Yeah, it does seem very quick. I agree. So all of those that, that. Is this the battle of Armageddon that people would talk about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So those, those who are not believers and will not become believers and never can or will are, are then defeated very quickly and immediately. It just says fire came from heaven and it's yeah, done. It, so- it sounds very quick. It doesn't sound <laughs> to me like two armies are lining up and there's a big like right. brave heart battle sequence that's happening. It's right. just like God's like done. Yeah, it almost sounds like it's just this collective uh this collective instance of okay, we're going after God and then it's then it's done. Yeah. It's uh it's so interesting to think that that would be I wonder what that would look like practically. Have you thought about what that would look like practically? Like for, for I don't people see like, any reason to, to think it's not very much like uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Interesting. I mean, or when Yahweh rained down fire from Yahweh in the Old so, Testament. Well, um, and I was thinking about that too, but what about this part about they marched up over the broad plain of earth and mm-hmm. surrounded the camp of the saints? So the keep in mind, city. this is talking about the whole earth at this point. Right. So what is what is the camp of the earth? I mean, it could certainly be physical churches. I don't really see it as being Jerusalem specifically. Because the new yeah. Jerusalem hasn't come yet. The camp of the saints and the beloved city. 
I really, I wonder what that, I wonder what that means. I wonder if that Mm -hmm. will be, if, if, if I'm just speculating out here on that one. Give me a second. Sure. So just 20. I'm just thinking like from a, from a post-millennial view, if we have another couple thousand years to go and things continue to progress, perhaps uh, we see this, uh, this continual outpouring of the gospel to the point where we do have a, a place that's called the beloved city where the, where saints, the saints happen to be gathered. I mean, it's not, not impossible, I suppose. Uh, let me see here. Oh, this is too far. Went too far. Yeah. That one's, that one's a tougher one. I haven't looked deeply into, but I, I yeah. can well, it's just a speculatory a question. I, you know, just think yeah. about, uh, you know, it just seems like a very mean. quick thing. And yeah, then yeah. what do we see immediately after? We see the white throne judgment. Right. So if 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 all of that was happening in 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 the different set of of time, then that means that there's possibly more than one judgment. Like Jesus comes down right. but he doesn't judge. He kind of waits and and lets people rebel against him and all like that. He reigns. He reigns for a thousand years but lets people rebel and then goes into a judgment. That seems very counterproductive to i mean if you were to i just try to picture this like practically like so let's just say that god that jesus comes back and everybody on earth knows that christ is king and now he is reigning like it's it's just abundantly clear because he's made his How presence known any doubt at right that point from anyone? no i mean obviously there but you could make the argument that people saw him perform miracles and still didn't believe we, you know, with mm-hmm. our soteriology, you know, it's very right. easy to see how people could just would be Depravity of man. complete <laughs> denial that he was even, you know, real and true. Right. Like it would just be, uh, we would be continued on to be like just crazy people believing in that. So, and redundant, right, Andrew, I agree. Redundant. So, um, okay. So let's keep going. So we now we've, we've covered kind of Satan being bound. We've, we've covered, uh, you know, we've kind of hit some of those big major so objections. Why post-millennialism? I guess that was Why maybe... post-millennialism? Yeah. So, yeah. so moving on now. So we're, you and I are both in agreement on so much with yeah. the, with the current millennium. Um, so why, what is your strongest argument for why you specifically, you know, think that post-millennialism over amillennial, because let's just throw pre-millennialism away now because we're kind of like, we're on the same page, at least at the post and ah part. So, um, convince me why why post millennialism is the better option. Okay, so if you want me, I can go through this whole presentation. Um, it, it, there's a bit to cover. Um, I can go a couple of different directions. I could do proofs of post millennialism in, in scripture, okay. or I could I could go to amillennialism and refute. Um, we could do both. It's completely up to you. Of course. I like, so I, I prefer, let's stay on the, let's stay on the positive side of it and show okay. me the proofs of post-millennialism because sure. to me, I think that that's always the best method when it comes to a good, good conversation or debate is to show the positive things. Awesome. Okay. So let's start with the kingdom parable. What did Matt, what did Jesus, Matthew, what did Jesus say about the kingdom? So there's plenty of sections in scripture you can read. It goes, the kingdom of God is like this. Yes. Read all of those. And and without any bias, post-mill, all-mill, pre-mill, none of that. Just what does he say? Start there. So I'm going to start with Matthew 13, 31 right, through 30. Pull it up. Give me yeah. one second. I want everybody to be able to, if you're watching along. 
yeah. on YouTube. And I do have the actual scripture. I'm not going to just shoot out a bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's the verse? <laughs> uh, so Matthew 13, 31 through 33. 31 through 33. All right. Give me one second here. Sure. Mustard seed and the leaven. Yes. All right. Let me uh, get this going here. All right, sir, go for it. All right, so 13, 31 through 33. So he, being Jesus, presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds. But when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. So we'll pause there real quick. Yeah. So from something very... So, so it's that, that same thing I said at the very beginning. From 12 men spreading the gospel out to the world. Now, what does the world look like now because right. of the Judeo-Christian belief, because of the spread of the gospel? Yeah. We are in a civilization that is safer, kinder, more generous, all of that than any point in history. And people can go look at, at, at like the present now and go, oh, look at all these bad things. It's still not even close, guys. If you go back in time and look at, at, at each century as they progress— the more the gospel spreads, the more, this was your best. <laughs> we'll miss I, you, buddy. Logan, I Logan, you're fired. Come back buddy. here. Come back here. <laughs> you're fired, dude. I don't want you back. Oh, Stay on vacation forever. No, I'm just I hope you're enjoying yourself with your family, buddy. I am just kidding. I'm <laughs> seriously just. Plus, plus, Blake <laughs> already has like four podcasts he's doing, so he's not going to take over. <laughs> That's actually did just commit to do um, Zach's. Uh, See, there you go. Uh, what's this called? Uh, Talk around the cross. I think that's what it is. Oh, nice, nice. Talk earth. Anyway, um, yeah, but yeah. So we see the benefits of that in our own government. I mean, look at the Constitution. It's Bible. Yeah. All, everything that we enjoy, as far as rights go, that were God given, are because yeah. of this. It's because of the spread of the gospel. So and and see all the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Like meaning, even non-believers are benefiting from yes. the gospel, even though they don't believe. Yes. Just from being around the influence of what bro. God has done. Yes. So same thing. The kingdom of, of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of meal until it was all leaven. It's the same idea right there. Just spoken in a different way. So and the little leaven spreads out through the whole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that makes sense. So, so um, the uh, let, let's, let's stay on this for just a, a little bit longer. Cause I want to marinate yeah. on it. So let's, let's think about, uh, Blake, your mic again is wild, says Brian. Come to YouTube, the Doctrines of Rad channel on YouTube. It's a lot better sounding. Oh, here, I'll, um, move, I'll move the mic away from me a little bit. Is it? I don't know. We'll, we'll I might have been moving closer to it. So Yeah, sure. No, it's it's totally it fine. A sensitive mic. <laughs> so let's just look. History. This is this is where the flirting has been for me because I've been, I don't mm. know if it's just the Lord been uh just showing me, like allowing me to to have a perspective on how life used to be. But so much of my, like, I was sitting the other, I'm like, dude, I don't have to learn how to slaughter animals to feed my family. <laughs> yeah. I don't have, I can go to the grocery store and pick any type of food that I want, vegetables, fruit, meat, I don't even, not even that to go one step even further. I don't, I can buy a platter of pre-cut vegetables <laughs> that I don't even have to cut. All I have to do is open it up and eat it. There and is, as you're driving home, as you're I'm not being home. attacked by raiders. 
right. stealing all of your food and stuff. And that's generally how it is for most of the world. Does it happen still? Of course. And that was an everyday thing. Yeah. Then. And uh, in addition to that, you've got uh, the, <laughs> I mean, we, we live in, we live in homes. Like we're, we're <laughs> we, we don't have like, we're, I'm not having to be like, Oh, I got my wife and my kids and a whole bunch of wood and we got to put together a shanty to live in. Like we live in a place where I can go, there's a market for houses and I can just pick a home. Like I can absolutely see and see, this is why I think post-millennial is, is probably the right view because I can see in, in eternity, I can see a, the, just the continuation of what God has already done on the planet in, in such a way that it's just like the many mansions that Christ prepares for us, right? Like for, for the, the, for the early believers, that would have been an almost like heavenly idea to think that there would be many people living in many homes, you know, people living in these beautiful, huge homes and houses and protected for with shelter and so on and so forth. Like, but today it's a reality. Like people don't know nor understand what like any bit of life was like back then to have to go through, like even, even 50, 60 years ago, Mm -hmm. the amount of, 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 of evolutionary change that has happened in society, technology and everything else Mm -hmm. has just been uh, astronomical. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can't help but see those sort of things. So like, I think, you know, like you say, the post-millennial view, um, I mean, the only thing I would say is like, towards amillennialism is that, you know, uh, technology and, and, and convenience aside, the hearts of man is ultimately where I see just like when you see leadership of people, I think of North Korea, I think of China, I think of places that, uh, it's totalitarian. And, but honestly, at the same time, I think about how evil and nasty America is. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like we're not better off just be, like we, we live in a way that is, is better for the people that are here, but the people in charge and the decisions that they're making are not often very good for the people. Like they continually see. So I can see that. So keep going. Let's keep, keep talking, man. I, I love, yeah. I love what you're doing to my brain. Let's, you're <laughs> so like, just, I mean, just to throw out a couple of quick things. So, I mean, you see it also described as a small stream that becomes a mighty river a small stone that becomes a mighty mountain. All of these allegories or metaphors are something that starts small and becomes huge. It's it's that that upward trajectory that I spoke about at the very beginning of what we were talking about here. And and so for for you the small thing that is becoming huge is what specifically? The kingdom of God. Just the kingdom and in you general. You can say that with confidence because it's literally what you, like if we go back to that verse that I just read yeah. He said the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven mm-hmm. is like this. Yeah. I mean, it's it's right from the words of Christ. Yeah. And we see that reflected in the Old Testament, which he's presenting in a different way here. Mm. You see it in Psalms. You see it in Isaiah. You see it in Jeremiah. These mm. very same kind of allegories from something small becoming something that would inha- and, and take over the whole earth, essentially. And I say take over <laughs> Not in a, in a military kind of way necessarily, but um, so, I mean, that being said. So Staff um, says it seems uh, it almost seems as if this is a second chance for people. If the tribulation already happened and God's wrath 
people received a second chance. So, so do you understand? I think I understand what I do, but the okay. thing is, is and, and I and I know her personally. Um, so again, no, no disrespect to her. So what she's presupposing is, is all of those things that were described as God's wrath were for the whole earth. Hmm. That's again a presupposition. Because the tribulation, so again, I just I always reflect like back flood. to this. Do you believe it was a, a global flood, or you think it was I global? actually still do? Um, yeah. Andrew has been working on me for old Earth a little bit here and there. He's just kind of just pecking at it. We'll see. We'll see if he succeeds. I have one up on him. I got him to post mill. He got me to um, uh, the doctrines of grace. So <laughs> we're even for now. <laughs> so it we'll got to be either way, man. Yeah, he, he introduced me to Michael Heiser, and I was looking at him like, "Well, this is pretty dang convincing." So, Bro, we we'll need to do an on. episode on the divine council because that oh, I'll, is... I'll, I'd have to. I I honestly know like. Oh man, I am I'm just just now <laughs> getting myself into understanding the divine council and it's, it's blowing my mind, dude. Yeah. Like it is it's changed already. It's already <laughs> changed the way I view things. So anyway, to answer so, to yeah. answer a question a little further. So in Matthew 24, or sorry, Matthew 23 again, we see and 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 she brings up Jacob's trouble. So who does Jacob represent? Israel. Yes. The national Israel. So in Matthew 23, we see him doing what? Roasting the tar out of the Pharisees, mm. telling them, all of the deaths of the prophets are on you. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. Pit of, of vipers. Like all of those famous things where we were like, yeah, get them, Jesus. That's all from, you can read pretty much all of that in Matthew 23. Well, and it, and, and that's continued on in Acts when Peter oh, yeah. is is calling all of the men that are there for the day of Pentecost, Continue, and he, yes. is, he is continuing to roast the fact that they were the ones that put Jesus to death. Absolutely, right. yeah, yeah. And I we see it. that again yeah. reflected later in Revelation one. Yeah. yeah, all all of it ties together just very consistently and very simply. Yeah, but again, to answer that question, the very next thing, so he says, "Behold, your house is left you desolate." He looks at the temple, and the disciples go, "Hey, check out the temple! Isn't it awesome?" He's like, "Dude, it's going to be. There's not one stone left on another." There's no way that that's not 70 AD. Right. Like, it even, hasn't even come a, back. A yeah. There's just right. no way. And right. then the very next, the very next verse is them asking that question that Matthew 24, Jesus then answers for them. So, but anyway, to, to kind of get back to yeah. um, the, uh, the topic at hand. So I feel like I'm turning into the Hulk of post-millennialism. Uh, <laughs> optimism is a good thing. I can feel it come. I can feel it <laughs> Bubbling up in me. You'll be green by the end here. I know, right? Um, Uh, Green movies. I guess I'll just skip that part. So I do have, now in the the episode that we did on eschatology um, for Men of the Way, um, I did a refutation of, uh, a a very brief refutation of premillennialism as a whole, not necessarily dispensational, just as a whole. Um, And then amillennialism. So for the purposes here, we can just take a look at, at the amillennialism. Yeah, please do. I was actually just feeling like, okay, now that you've you've done, you've gotten me over, you've gotten me to take a couple steps forward in the right direction. So, sure. so tell me why amillennialism doesn't work. So the the main issue, okay. So looking at post mill versus pre mill, the main issue that I have with pre mill is the timing of the millennium. That's okay. what we've already talked about. The issue that I have with amillennialism is the nature of the millennium. Okay. So Amil agrees with post mill in that Christ's second coming consummates the messianic kingdom, 
yeah. views the millennium as having parallel growth of good and evil. So yep. that's part of the Amil belief. Mm -hmm. um, and and forgive me, though, I am going to be just reading some of this just because it, it helps. Yeah, me please. Keep going here, but, um, so Amil teaches that Christ's messianic kingdom has little to do with the present created order and affects mostly the eternal state as people are coming to Christ. However, okay. the declaration of the kingdom of God being at hand, that Christ was given all authority in heaven and on earth, Matthew 28, 18, and that he is in the process of subduing all of his enemies, 1 Corinthians 15, 25, contradicts this. Every nation on earth is presently under the dominion of Christ. That, if you look at Daniel 2 and then Revelation 1, 5. Okay. So that's an important starting point. Okay. Um, so another, what I would see as an error in Amil is the, not, the denial of the pro progressive growth of the kingdom. So Daniel 2, 34 through 44, um, this, is, this is what I was alluding to earlier. Um, the, the kingdom is described as a stone that grows to fill the whole earth. Ezekiel 47 is a stream of water that steadily increases in depth to become a mighty river. So we talked about the mustard seed and the leaven and all that yep. um, progressively up to 1 Corinthians 15, 25. Anyway, um, so having parallel growth creates a lot of logical inconsistencies. So Amil and Postmill affirm that Satan's bound, right? We've yes. already discussed that part. Yep. Um, this renders Satan's kingdom pretty difficult to build. Correct. If he's bound, right? Correct. Um, and Revelation 21 through 3, we just we just looked at that too. Um, here's the other thing that the people overlook, and I overlooked this for a long time, Mark 3, 27. Mark is, a, is, is an underutilized gospel many times, but but Christ is, or, or I'm sorry, the, the kingdom of Satan is currently being plundered by Christ. I would agree with that. I, Michael Heiser would agree with that too. Right. <laughs> so that's Mark 3, 27. All right. So um, Mark 327 says, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. And I've always. So. So, OK, so let me just let me throw out some a couple thoughts on that one, because I've always I've always took that to be. And I guess I need to go back and to look at it in context. But I always I always kind of thought of that verse more specifically uh, to a, a um, eternal salvation point of view sure like and that's you know. true as well okay so it's, it's a it's, both and it's a both and okay absolutely okay yes. so it makes sense so but is there is there a specific context in this verse that would make me understand that this is the kingdom of god i mean if you, read, if you read it that? full through it okay. i mean we can certainly like if you i don't know I, I don't have it in front of me but if you go I, back a few verses and add a few, we can certainly look at it um, um so Let's see, he was talking about the apostles. They came to the point of the 12. He appointed the 12. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see, they went to the crowd gathered. Um, it talks about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. um, kingdom talking about language. casting out Satan. Okay, so if a kingdom is divided against itself. Yeah, man, I mean. <sighs> There's eschatological. Yeah influence because of what's here now he's he's talking about it in a specific sense with that but the teaching still applies well and it doesn't even have to be eschatological because the kingdom itself i mean that the kingdom of god stands in in complete contrast to the kingdom of the world like the the kingdom of the right. enemies and the kingdoms that have been given you know the dominion that's been given over to satan and his minions right like so we and we know that at, you know at the beginning the 
Satan had his rule. Paul talks about it even, you know, in uh, we're still we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. So there is still this this uh, this mindset of there is dominion that has not yet been taken over by Christ for the kingdom of God. There are still territories, if you will, that belong to evil, whether it's, you know, the divine council, those that have fallen, those that joined Satan, whatever. Um, there is there is territory that still belongs. And I think that you could probably prove that just by looking at Islam, looking at uh, a lot of other, uh, like, Mormonism. I mean, there are still, there are still uh, evil principalities, spiritual forces in high places that still have rule and reign over people on earth right now. Mm -hmm. But the king, like the gospel kingdom has not ever slowed down. Right. It continues. Like we're not seeing like what other religion can we even say what other religions have, have grown the way in which Christianity has grown. Not consistently. Anything out there. I mean, like Mormonism is a relatively new religion. Uh, mm-hmm. in especially in the face of, of Christianity, Islam probably one of the oldest ones going back, like uh, Islam and and really Judaism, AD, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. so well, I mean, and I think you could honestly you could trace back that same uh principality, I think you could trace that same spirit back to um uh Sarah, uh, Sarah and um, so, oh, sure, uh, sure. For Ishmael, for mm-hmm. Ishmael. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, and especially when it comes to like the dominion of, of, of evil forces and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, so really there hasn't been any, there hasn't been, nothing has lasted as long and has been as successful as Christianity. Mm-hmm. And which I always, I go back to, was it Caiaphas that said, uh, if it's not, if it's not God, then it's going to go away. You know, when he's talking, when he's talking about like, what do we do with these people that are proclaiming Jesus? And mm-hmm. he's like, look, if it's not, if it's, if it's God, we're not going to be able to stop this, you know, but if it isn't Absolutely. God, then it's going to die off. And you can see 2000 years later, we're still here. We're still having these conversations. We're still magnifying Christ. What, the what steepest other growth in the 19th century? Yeah. Well, when, tech- I, when I heard that, that this morning, it, so it was a sermon but he was also giving statistics. He was talking specifically about the 19th century and the growth of the church and everything, despite the wars and all of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so look, I look at technology with the way that we have it now with the ability to go. You can stream stuff from Russia. Look what we're doing right here. I know. I know. I know. It's crazy, dude. Like it, it well, doesn't imagine if Paul had had this kind of platform. I'd be like, oh, it's on. Bro, seriously, I mean, look, dude, like that's why I'm, I feel such like a an unction to to leave a legacy because I don't know what the future is going to hold ultimately. But mm-hmm. I look at it as like I want I want my children and my children's children to know what I believed because and so going into the future from now, it is not possible that anyone a thousand years from now would not know beyond a shadow of a doubt what the church of Jesus Christ believed in 2022 because of the amount of digital record keeping that we have. Right. It would be impossible to not know. We can mm-hmm. question and speculate from 2000 years ago, what they meant by certain words and stuff like that. You could 2000 years into the future, 
you won't be, there's not going to be as heated of a debate over what did Blake mean when he said the millennium, you know, <laughs> like it's going to be very clear what your position was and there will be much resource to back that up too. Fair. So let me ask you a couple questions. Uh, I'm, I'm a post-millennialist. <laughs> Already. Huh? I, I really, I, uh, well, I we'll drive it home here. Cause th- this it- is, this is, there's, there's a Take couple points home tonight. Yeah, a couple of questions that, um, that I think warrant answers. So All let right. me ask you this. Do we see spiritual effects of the kingdom of Satan on earth today? Do we see spiritual effects of the kingdom of Satan, like residual? Just at all. Well, yes, I think I think that there are residual. There are still there's still residual evil. Yes. Okay. So, do we see physical effects? I think so. I would say yes too. So, so. another way to phrase that would be: Are there institutions that are certainly more on that side than they are on the? Ah, I mean, there's a whole church of Satan, right? I mean, exactly right. (laughs) So we so, see yeah. both, right? Yeah, yeah. So do we see spiritual effects of the kingdom of Christ on earth? Absolutely. Of course. Absolutely. And do we see physical effects? Yes. So there you have it right there. If the answer is no to either question regarding Christ's kingdom, but yes to Satan's, would that not be strange? So an amillennialist would say that there are not physical effects of the kingdom of God on earth. Mm. And I think that it's undeniable that there are. All that stuff we we literally you literally just so said. an amillennialist would say probably that it's a fully spiritualized right because the thing. as the gospel goes out the effects are are primarily spiritual Salvation. right right um, but yeah. as things progress to get worse it really is just going to be the the spiritual side of it that is growing and mm-hmm. it is not the actual like dominion of the earth it's not the dominion of the people of God. Uh, or the growth of, you know, the, the, I think, so the, would you count the physical effects? Would you count, uh, people? Cause we talked about like common grace before we talked about like everybody benefits. So yeah. that would be a physical effect of the kingdom of God is the fact that there are Absolutely. far less homeless people, whether they are saved or unsaved, mm-hmm. there are far less, uh, robberies, day, daytime, daylight robberies than, saved and uh, you know whether they're saved or unsaved like there's just there are just better things so that's the spirit that's the physical side of the growth of the kingdom of god Mm -hmm. so to tie that up so i mean amils in, in my view have placed the fulfillment of all of these promises meant for this age and placed it only in the eternal state so it's the storing up of treasures in heaven kind of I yeah, as if everything has to still decline, and then suddenly Jesus is just going to come fix it. And then to me, that's the same eisegetic idea that a like a pre-trib rapture theology um, uh, believer would say. It's that same view. And a lot of this stems, I didn't want to get into too much of the dispensational side, but a lot of it really does stem from, and you talked about this. I, I, I was on one of your lives where you talked about this, was the Darby Schofield thing. So in the 1800s is really where a lot of this stemmed from. Now, you can trace premillennialism, classic premillennialism, way back, all the way really to Irenaeus at, at, at minimum. Um, and that even that's still somewhat debatable and partial sure. what he said, because he said a lot of weird things. Um, we'll leave that alone for now. Sure, sure, sure. But as far as that specific pessimistic view, 
there's other things besides just that that come into play. There's also Darwinism. Yeah. There's also all of that thinking of, of, of downward and degrading rather than yeah. an upward trend. Um, well, it's so, almost like it's almost like the the side effects of the growth of the gospel has naturally made things better, even if the things themselves aren't Christian. It still made things better. Like it is, it is, uh, it's made life better for everyone. And I do want to recant, Sav, what I said about the homeless. And what I meant is, let me clarify my <laughs> statement because I do. I lived it's in so Seattle funny. area. There's lots and lots of homeless. However, mm-hmm. the difference is those people are are rarely hungry. There may be mm-hmm. a lot of drug use for sure, and a lot mm-hmm. of them have chosen that lifestyle or done enough drugs to lead it. But when it comes to feeding the hungry, those people, the it is there is no better time in history to be a homeless person in the <laughs> United States because you will be fed, you will be given crack pipes from this administration, and oh, you will no. be given safe needle injection sites. So there oh, is no man. better time than to be a homeless drug addict. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, so in, in the presentation I did in, in our in our podcast, I, I took the three main points um, from an amillennialist named Richard Gaffin, Okay. Um, we can go through those if you like. Um, yeah, let's do it, man. We get, I mean, we're we're an hour. Let's let's try not to go past two hours. So let's. Uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's three verses. Thing. So, um, so Second Corinthians four seven. Um, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, and not to us. So, this passage in many ways is speaking um, autobiographically because Paul is defending his personal authority. As an apostle, nowhere in the previous or subsequent passages do we see indication that these are a parallel description for all of church history. But they would use that passage as showing a a degradation in a way, okay, or a pessimistic view. Sure. Okay. So we'll just we'll we'll let that one stand. There's on. one. Um, okay. That one seems um, somewhat simple to me, but okay. um, so Philippians three ten um, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. So the claim is, again, that negative connotation. Right. So all believers, regardless of how bad their circumstance, um, will come to know that believers, of course, come to know the sustaining power of Christ as individuals and his resurrection. The suffering he speaks of is dying to sin, which will remain until the second coming. All of us in in this camp um, and really most the, 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 to me, the Christian view um, is that we will not be without sin, but we'll sin less as we are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, becoming yeah. more like Christ. Yeah, I don't think I don't know that I would take that. Uh, I would I would hold to that one as an amillennialist that uh, that that was an indication because uh, I think that you could still you could still argue think things are getting better, but yet for Christians there is a uh, there is certainly a um, there is there is a uniqueness to our suffering as Christians, mm-hmm. uh, and I think a lot of that suffering comes from the destruction of sin through sanctification. Sure, uh, because it hurts and it's hard to deny the flesh. It's hard to pick up your cross. It's hard to do that. So, um, yeah, yeah. My that, son that actually says, reflects uh, it exactly. He says you have people like Mr. Beast who aren't even Christian, whose whole thing is giving food and money to those in need. Yeah, I mean it's it yeah. is a. There, there is no better time to be alive, really, whether Christian or not. But uh, and what moral know. stance do they have to base that that action upon? 
Yeah. Because if naturalism is true, then right. they're doing something that goes against what actually benefits them. Yeah, it would actually be worse to take care of the desolate because the desolate are really those that should be dying off that that the uh, that the better people evolutionary wise would would, yeah. would thrive. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it goes against the point. I mean, that's the whole Christian worldview versus naturalism worldview. But um, yeah. so again, so regarding this, a post mill wouldn't argue that this doesn't exist or continue. Um, so this is in many ways a straw man, in my opinion, it's trying to mm. take what is clearly meant to be about personal sanctification and an individual struggle with sin, as well as perhaps persecution. We got a cat. <laughs> cat. <laughs> um, but it's not an emblematic um, of the but, end of struggle. It's just the trials faced as the kingdom is being built. Yeah. So Postmill wouldn't say that there aren't going to be troubles and trials. Of course there are. Right. Of course there are. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, and that doesn't in any way negate post. I never thought that a post millennial, like even knowing, like I've never was like, oh, post millennialists don't believe that uh, that there's not, you know, that everything's great. And yeah, no. never. I'm I'm a realist at a minimum. I'm a realist. Right. So, it's confidence in God. Yeah. And it's us doing what part that we can to the glory of God to build that kingdom. Okay. So do everything as if for the Lord, right? That's right. Um. So the other one would be Romans eight seventeen. Um. So starting at verse 16, we'll, we'll start there. Um, so the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs with God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I see. Okay. So this is a concluding section dealing again with the struggle that Christians have with sin. It's really very similar to the Philippians. Um, again, a post mill would not deny this struggle. Um, so to me, again, yet another straw man. Postmill yeah. doesn't argue that indwelling sin will be eradicated before the second coming. But there's confusion of that when you when you talk mm -hmm. about a pre-mill view, because that thousand years happen. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then at the end of that, which is supposed to, in their view, be some kind of utopia. Mm. Yeah. Whereas a postmill would say we're building toward that end. Right. And when Christ comes back and judges, which we see all at once, because right, right after that happens is the white throne judgment. Yeah. Then we see death and sin defeated. And then all the rest of Revelation, all that beautiful awesomeness that is our blessed hope, you mm. know, that, that all, all any Christian should read and look forward to it. The, it and we didn't say this at the beginning, but we really should. None of this is salvific. You can completely right. disagree yes, with everything I'm saying. Yes. But as long as you profess Christ as your Savior and you believe in the triune God yep. and you believe that he rose from the dead and that there is no other path to God, the gospel is what matters you guys. I just There's, want to make sure that that's... There are no post, pre, or amils in heaven, guys. There's none, none of, of that. that. Yes, but it is going to affect eschatology matters. It is going to affect how you evangelize because yeah. here's the thing, and I don't want to I don't want to put a downer on on, on premillennial. I don't I don't want to just sit here and diss on because until just a couple of years ago I was premillennialist myself, but there's this this idea of fear, this really really bad thing's going to happen. So you better get saved before that happens because right. then you're going to have to go through it, and then you can still get saved through that. But man, it's going to be rough. I mean, it's almost policy. scaring people. Yes, it's yeah. scaring people into faith. And that's that's what, not what the gospel looks like. No. And, you know, but there is there is a place for that. I mean, like I said, I, you know, I I was saved through that premillennial idea. Mm -hmm. And it was mm -hmm. the fear of that that ultimately mm -hmm. drew me to the arms of God because I was that's like, fair. I don't 
I, mm -hmm. I'm afraid for what's going to happen. So, and I think maybe that's for some reason why a lot of people feel like that is the, you know, maybe the right view is because people do say things like that, like, oh, well, you know, it, it got me into the doors of the church, you know, but I, but again, I don't, it, it's like, you know, people will get saved at Joel Osteen's church, but if they're really saved, they won't stay at Joel Osteen's church. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Not. And I so, would certainly hope not. No, I, I think that that would be crazy. Like that, there's no, po what meat do you possibly get out of that church? You know? So I've, I've always felt that way. Like, like I, uh, I know the Lord has me. I know that the Lord is showing me himself and I'm growing in him. And I am not the same Christian I was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. However, I'm still, I it's still the same salvation. It's the exact same salvation. I'm different. Yeah. You know, I don't see, uh, I, I see things very differently, but it's because that God loves me that he is, is, uh, leading me through to work out my salvation with fear and trembling, right. Sure. To, to make my calling and my election. Sure. He's, he's just, uh, he's allowing me that, uh, you know, that freedom don't kill me Calvinists, but the freedom <laughs> of choice when it comes to my compatible freedom of choice. Um, well, you've been given a new nature that you have freedom to act within. Right. So there's nothing that disagrees. There's no doctrines of grace that would disagree with the statement right. you just made. We do have free will within our nature. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. I agree. We don't deny free will. Yeah. I, I have a hard time with free will sometimes because I think people really hold on to the idea of it. Um, they lost. use it, yeah. you know, <laughs> argumentatively. But uh, of course. But yeah. Uh, so, OK, well, we are we're we're pretty much at the two hour mark, man. I think we should go ahead and uh, let's see if there's anybody that has like questions that we can answer in the next seven minutes. Yeah. Uh, I don't sure. know how, how far yeah, a lot of the, the questions that I end up getting uh, tend to be more geared toward the preterist view that the part of partial preterism is like, well, what about this statement? What about this statement? And a lot of times it's, well, we see this in history as being this or this or that, you know what I mean? So, I mean, just, just to finally like wrap up the, the post mill versus on mill side of it. I mean, Really, what post mill looks at is it's it's an empowering thing for the church that's saying that's saying we're not going to go in this downward trend. The church is not going to ultimately fail and have to have Christ just come back and rescue us. That seems extremely inconsistent with what Scripture says. All of the parables about the kingdom, and there are more than even that I just said. Yeah. Again, anytime Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this, or any of the apostles for that matter. Look at that without any bias and say, okay, if the kingdom is like this, does it seem optimistic? Does it seem like it will ultimately win, that it will ultimately prevail, that it will not fail, that when we storm the gates of hell, they'll fall? Yeah. And that's that's really the crux of the attitude is what really is the crux of postmill versus Amil. Very fair statement, brother. I think you may have pushed me over the edge. Um <laughs> Aviana, you can ask any questions that you want. Uh, if it's, I mean, it's oh, specifically sure. we've been asking. I haven't even been looking up at the phone here. I've been, everybody's no. just been looking at the top of my head. I hope it's. Yeah. No, you're fine. <laughs> Post mill all the way. Awesome. Yeah. I, uh, so we'll open, we got about five minutes guys before we yeah. close out this, this will be uh, the whole entire conversation will be posted uh, as soon as this is over onto the YouTube channel and I will upload it tomorrow morning to Spotify. So, and, and all the other podcast places too. So uh, you'll be able to listen. What's up BGD. Um, but uh, man, this has been a very, this is, I, I'm really glad that we, 
I'm glad that we had this time, Blake, yeah. to uh, to come and uh, Sav's not convinced yet. It's okay. That's Look okay. again, it's That's okay. It it all pans out, right? I, I love that she's as kind and and willing to listen as she is. Me, me and her, I know I know her fairly well. Um, we disagree on a couple of things, and but um, she's a very gracious person from what I've um, from my communication with her. So I mean, if this to is something to us, we should disagree, but not divide over. It's it's not Absolutely. it's not something to divide over. Well, and I actually the, disagree with my own pastor. Yeah, well, I he's I'm, he's a pre mill guy, and I'm not. I'm the same way. BGD, this is this is my background. Yes, um, uh, I I deleted my old TikTok, so the Drew Kaler that once existed is gone now. So uh, this is the Doctrines of Rad is my official channel now, awesome. um, and uh, yeah, I just uh, I guess I could address that a little bit since people are probably wondering. Sure. Um, I felt like um, my my follower account became a, an idol for me. I felt like I was treating people uh, differently based off of how many followers I had versus how many they had. And it really, it really pressed on my ego. And so what I was doing was, you know, cause I had, I had almost 200,000 followers. I mean, there are people that would pay money for an account like that. Uh, and mm-hmm. I just was like, I was, it, it became so consuming, uh, where, where I would get to the point where like, okay, I wouldn't even take somebody seriously if I saw that they had a low follower count. I'm like, that's a dumb thing to think, you know, like that's a, that's a dumb way to look at it. So, um, I felt like the Lord gave me the freedom to turn it, to shut it down. And, uh, I'm not looking back. I don't have any regrets. It's gone. You know, I deleted it this morning. It's gone. Um, I don't want anything to do with it, man. I, I, I want to, uh, and, and hopefully the Lord, keeps me from feeling egotistical and, and bold about that. Um, Logan. But if it, uh, I'd buy that idol from you for 20 bucks. I know you would. Uh, so Aviana, uh, I'm a, I'm non-denominational, but I am a Calvinist uh, theologically. Um, but uh, other than that, I'm just, I just love the Lord. I, uh, I've been in all kinds of churches. I actually came 20 years ago when I got saved, I came up uh, in a charismatic uh, assemblies of God type environment. And uh, so proud of me. Thank you, Logan. Uh, but um, I do. It I sounds do believe... like you're probably closest to Reformed Baptist if you had to peg it on, like put it on one. Yeah, I would agree. I don't know if you don't do firm paid baptism. Uh, not yet. Okay. Not yet. I, uh, I've, so I've that heard church of structures, you know, but you said you affirm Westminster. So, I mean, that, that'd be yeah. pretty close to uh, Presby. Yeah, I think that the problem with the Presbyterian, like I'm far too emotional of a person to be a Presbyterian. <laughs> I say that same thing. Like I say, I, I affirm Presbyterian beliefs, but I definitely worship more. I'm a drummer. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like movement and action and energy. Yeah, and I'm I, not a frozen chosen. No, I, I couldn't yeah. be that at all. I, I love yeah, yeah. like worship for me is uh, honestly, I. I would dance like I can get mm-hmm. so excited for the Lord when I'm just really like thinking about scripture. how amazing he is. I could dance. Yeah. I could easily do it. I'm not an RPW guy. That's the problem. Maybe that's what that maybe that's the biggest difference is I'm not a I'm not a regulative principle of worship guy. Although I don't you know, I get it. when I get it. Why people are. I do love the hymns. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm the guy that uh, when I get really excited uh, about Jesus, I could be rolling on the floor, not like groaning, but I could just be like, so full of joy in the moment of, of just thinking about how good God is that, 
I would look like a fool, you know, and I would be okay with it. Uh, I would look like a Pentecostal to most, but I would not. So uh, BGD wants to know, do you drum at church, Blake? Not as it stands. Um, Getting down for the I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I'm going to probably be helping them with the tech side of things. Nice. Um, but I want to be very careful that I, just like you making an idol or, or having pride in, in that account, I want yeah. to make sure that I'm in that same mindset, especially when it comes mm-hmm. to worship and all that. Yeah. Um, because me with my background is of things that it, it'd be very easy for me to go up there and it would just become about me and not about God. Um, so we'll, we'll see TBD. I have definitely played drums for my churches in the past. Yeah. Um, this one I'm, I'm being, I'm, I'm being reserved at first. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, that's I'm good. probably going to be more on the sound side of things, helping them with some tech stuff first. Well, I, I happen to play drums at my church. I'm on a rotation every other week uh, I nice. play. And then uh, the guy that I'm actually taking over the youth pastor spot from is the guy that plays the drums on the other side of the week that I don't play in. So see behind me here. Um, oh, yeah. There she is. <laughs> Very oh, nice. Well, it's kind of blocked by my. There you go. Very nice. <laughs> I have screen. a uh, I have an electronic set here at home. Oh, nice. Cool. Um, but and that's actually what I play at church. I prefer an electronic set. I know that that's not doesn't make me a real drummer, but uh, I just There's love certain things that limits, you know. Well, it does. It does. And I think maybe that's the thing is because I'm not like a I'm not a magnificent drummer. Like I, I can play most songs and I can sure. I think I can do pretty well, but I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to. I don't think uh, play well in a in a diverse band. You know, like if it was like a, a touring band or something like that. But um, uh, I do love, man, I've, and, and the, the drums was something because I, I started off, I played guitar ever since high school and uh, loved playing the guitar. And when, every time I see people on the drums, I'm like, oh, I wish I need to learn how to play that. You know, like I want to learn. And one day I just decided I was going to learn. And I said I was going to do it. And I got some drums and I started like just very basic beats. Uh, and uh, I've evolved a little bit over the years. I'm getting a little bit better. Nice. Um, but, uh, yeah, not definitely not, uh, not, not recording quality wise, I suppose. <laughs> so, all right, man. Well, um, we like to close out the show, uh, with the gospel. And since you're the guest, I don't want to put you on the spot. So if you, if oh you don't want to do it, oh, let me think, give me the gospel, <laughs> my friend, let, let us know the good news of Jesus Christ and then we'll close the show out. Awesome. So to know what the good news is, you have to know what the bad news is. So the bad news is, is that all of mankind has sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, the intention that he originally had for us um, when he created us. We're all, all of us in open rebellion against God, and we're all of des- deserving of, of his wrath. We're all guilty by default. And of course, if one intellectually, honestly looks at their life and says, hmm, am I a sinner? Am, am, I, am I perfect? The answer is no. And the answer is yes, you're a sinner. All of us. So how do we reconcile that? How, do, how are we reconciled with God? Well, from eternity past, you made a covenant with the Son, that the Son would come down, live the perfect life that we could not, and then willingly go to the cross and take upon the wrath that we have earned, that we all deserve. And he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. And that's the crux of all of it. He defeated all of those things. And so now his righteousness is imputed to us, meaning our account has now been given that perfect righteousness of Christ. 
And if we depend on that only, only that, only through Jesus, and we trust in that, put our faith in that, and then we react to that, that's what salvation means. That's the good news, is that there is a way to be reconciled with the Father. And the great consequence of that is then we get to go to heaven and spend eternity with he who we love. That's right. Amen. Turn, change your mind, folks. If you haven't trusted in Jesus, change your mind. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord show you who he is. Uh, don't be afraid to, uh, to, to ask God to show himself. He will. And uh, I truly believe that, guys. Uh, all right. Awesome. Well, Blake, uh, you can find Blake uh, at the Men of the Way podcast. Uh, you can also yep. find him on TikTok and uh, Instagram, I suppose. I am on Instagram. It's all eDisciple. Um, Men of the Way is hosted on the Wheat and Tares podcast. That's uh, Buck Rogers 298 on TikTok. Um, I do also repost um, them on my YouTube, which is um, eDisciple here. I'm, it's all easy to find if you're on my TikTok, especially. It's all just right in my bio links to Very all good. that so yeah all man. right brother well it's been an absolute pleasure and a blessing yeah. i appreciate having you come out and logan yeah don't come back logan stay on vacation <laughs> forever. all right guys oh, logan. god bless you guys take care we'll see you guys on the internet love you and see you and we are